This is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today, your media hub for all things Black business and related news, strategy, and events. You are tuned into Black Wall Street Today, where we bring you and interview the hardest working, most innovative, and most community-oriented entrepreneurs in the Hampton Roads area. Black Wall Street Today is brought to you by Black Brand, the Hampton Roads Regional Black Chamber of Commerce. So, if you know an entrepreneur out there, or even an aspiring entrepreneur who needs to be surrounded by like-minded folks who are focused on progress, or if you are just a few meetings away from where you need to be. You have the vision, you have the drive, but you just need to meet the right people. Well, then you need to head on over to www.blackbrand.biz. That's www.blackbrand.biz. You go to that website and you can join as a member and come to our many programs and many events that are occurring all throughout the month. Or if you just want to get a taste test to see what it would like be like to be a member, head over to that website, www.blackbrand.biz. Go to join and try our 30-day free trial membership. It costs you absolutely no money, and you will still get 30 days of full membership privileges, being able to come to our networking events, our programming, our educational events. Meet someone who can help you come meet the entrepreneurial black community of Hampton Roads. So today, on Black Wall Street today, we have... Our special guest, Dina Moore. Now, Dina was born in Norfolk, but raised in Hampton. She's a former healthcare professional and she's a current entrepreneur. She is a proud Hampton crabber, go Hampton High, and a mom of five amazing children. Uh, she also raised three children in love and has five grandchildren and has loved hundreds of children in her 21 years of coaching cheerleading. She has an Associates of Science in Medical Assisting. She has a Bachelor's of Science in Information Technology. After 30 years in healthcare, including cardiovascular technology and health information systems, she retired from corporate in 2017 to go into full-time entrepreneurship, and you know we love that. She is the founder and executive director of Do-Gooders of Hampton Roads, as well as the owner of two businesses. She takes care of her spunky mother, who is 75 years old. Her two businesses are Hands Over Hearts for Life and Freedom Enterprises. As a powerful coach, consultant, and community activist, advocate, she spends her days working to make life better for everyone. And her strengths include training, facilitating, and serving others. I'd like to welcome to the show, 
Dina Moore. How are you doing today, Dina? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you for the invite and thank you for the amazing introduction. Yeah, of course. So uh, I introduced you as the executive executive director and founder of Do Gooders Ham- of Hampton Roads. Can you kind of explain to the listeners what Do Gooders of Hampton Roads is? It sounds like maybe you do some good. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Uh, Do-Gooders of Hampton Roads was founded in my living room by myself, my son, and one of my dear friends. And the organization was basically God-driven because it definitely was not a decision of mine to just start a nonprofit. Mm. Um, I had been working with the city of Hampton, doing neighborhood work, really saw value in neighbors helping neighbors and neighbors being engaged in the places where they live, work, play, and worship. And we were sitting on the couch and it was a snowstorm. Make a long story short, someone was tying scarves to the trees in New York City. It was a social media post. And that created this rich conversation about how you can help people with what you have. And that's how Do-Gooders of Hampton Rose was founded. So fast forward, I got a group of people together. I said, let's just put this thing, thing together and see what it looks like to actually just do good. And it really started off as being a neighborhood organization. Um, I'm from the Shell Road neighborhood in Hampton. So those who are from Hampton are very familiar with Shell Road. Mm-hmm. Um, we are proud people who live in our neighborhood. Uh, some people may not, you know, like our neighborhood, but we love it. Right. And so uh, we came together in this group and we decided that based off of my vision and ideas and things that they put into it, the Do-Gooders of Hampton Roads is going to be a, an organization that helps people to do good, speak good, and show love through acts of community kindness. And that has grown into this full-blown organization. Um, it was a non, it was a neighborhood group. Now we've gone nonprofit. We are in the process of uh, creating chapters. So now, right now we have Do-Gooders of Hampton Roads-Hampton. But the five-year plan is to have chapters in every one of the seven cities in the Hampton Roads. We're where people can actually get together and, and, and take care of each other in the places where they live, work, play, and worship. That sounds amazing. Can you tell me some of the programs that you have now or some of the initiatives that you're doing that the listeners out there might want to be involved in? Yes, definitely. So Do-Gooders of Hampton Roads will look different in different neighborhoods. So mm. we know that our programming may be different once we start to open chapters in other cities. But in Hampton currently right now, we have several initiatives. So we uh, work with the uh different community groups and we maintain the african-american cemeteries mm-hmm. so there are two african-american cemeteries in the city of hampton of course we know hampton is is a huge historical place for the landing of the slaves those properties are not maintained by the families anymore um, due to time and distance and it's not city property and so nonprofits are the groups that maintain those properties and we are the main ones out there cutting the grass every two weeks we feed the volunteers who come out we need people who want to weedy cut grass it's a great way to give back to your community in a way that nobody else really knows is an opportunity that exists um, we do several signature events so Christmas Day is my favorite one we had a member uh, she's still a member it's her idea her name is Cardella she came up with the idea that she wanted to feed the homeless at Christmas. So this originally was going to be this 
charitable event where we thought we were going to have a whole lot of homeless people come and we were going to feed them, provide clothes and toys for them. And the first Christmas feeding was hilarious because what we realized was there wasn't a whole lot of homeless people that we fed. (laughs) What it ended up being was a lot of people who were lonely at Christmas. And so people who maybe were not around their family members, we are a military town. So people who may not be home, uh, college students, we are a big college town. We have Hampton University, Thomas Nelson, Christopher Newport, Norfolk State, ODU. People who, you know, just could not go home for Christmas but didn't want to stay in their apartment or their dorm or anything by themselves. And so it has morphed into this huge event now. We do it on Christmas Day. Everybody that's a volunteer, we've all changed our lives for this event because we used to do Christmas with our families on Christmas Day. I know for my house, we do Christmas on Christmas Eve because Christmas Day, we're at we're at our organization doing doing our Christmas party. It has grown from us serving 50 people the first time mm-hmm. to well over 300. Wow. Yes. And so it's an amazing event. We give away clothes, toys, food. We partner with other nonprofits. And then after the event is over, we serve those who could not leave their homes, such as our senior citizens and uh, families who maybe wanted to participate but didn't have transportation. Mm-hmm. So they reach out to us and say, hey, I wasn't able to give my kids stuff for Christmas, but I can't get there. Give us your address. We'll put something together and we'll come by. And so it's just an amazing day. That's probably my favorite thing. Then we also celebrate our neighborhood through something called the Shell Road Fest because most of us are from that area. And mm-hmm. that's where we kind of celebrate the neighborhood. We give out school supplies. That's an event that's kind of morphing and changing as we grow our organization from a neighborhood group to more of a city organization. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the last event I do want to tell you about is something called the Thanksgiving Give and Receive. So that event is where we ask at least 100 families to donate turkey and 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 uh, uh what's the word I'm thinking of the trimmings you know gotcha, the yeah. greens the sides, candy yams the sides yeah. yeah so they donate we ask them to donate those so they come from 9 to 11 we have hot chocolate music activities for the kids and from 9 to 11 those who can donate they come by, we celebrate them, thank them. And then from one to three, we have families who have signed up to receive. And so we call it the give and receive. And then sometimes you have the families who are giving and they hang out because they want to meet the families who are receiving. And it just becomes this big kind of neighborhood celebration. So that's another one of our signature events. We have a few other things we do, such as the clothing swap. We're very huge on partnering and collaboration with other nonprofits mm-hmm. um, and volunteerism. So we have a lot of manpower. People want to do good but sometimes they don't know why or how or what to do and we believe we're the great connector so when we see a need whether it be a need in our group or a need from another nonprofit, and we we connect those who can provide that need with those who need and that's how we how we operate that sounds incredible it seems like over the journey of this nonprofit, you've really had an opportunity to bring community together in in maybe ways that the community was not being brought together before, maybe groups of people who weren't sharing dinners before, um, or groups of people who weren't side-by-side helping before. Yes. Tell me what it means for you to be able to bring that Hampton, especially that Shell Road community together. What does that mean for you personally, and what is your long-term vision uh, with the Hampton Do-Gooders. Awesome. I love that. So for me personally, I've always been a servant. And that's not a gift that most people would want to accept because it seems like you're always (laughs) pouring and you're never getting. But I accept my assignment. And so for me to just continue to see people blessed and served, it, it, it warms my heart. We had a guy drive all the way. He was from Utah. He visited his mother in North Carolina for Christmas 
last year, was looking for something to give his time to on Christmas Day, drove from North Carolina two or three hours away up and served at our event. We didn't know him from a can of paint, but he was looking for someplace where he could feel rewarded and, and, and give back. And so to see them, and he was just so happy. He was gloved up. He was serving. He was like, I'm coming back every year. I said, from Utah? Okay, you know. Wow. <laughs> and so to see somebody's heart change, that's yeah. big for me, to see somebody's heart change. I have um, several family members that suffer with different types of mental illness, and I've seen where giving and helping others is healing. Mm. And so for me, I get very personal satisfaction when I see somebody who I know is struggling with something internally, mm-hmm. but getting past their own self to help somebody else and being blessed in the process. Mm. So that's where my love for this comes from. I wish that... Um, I wish that this could be something I could take national when you talk about longevity. Yeah. But I'm a 757 girl and charity starts at home. And yes. so that's where my focus is. So we have really looked at how we can duplicate with room for um, independence. So what that looks like is what do-gooders of Hampton Roads may not look like do-gooders of Newport News. We're in the process of meeting with Newport News leaders now to establish what does that chapter look like? Mm-hmm. What does what can we, you know, carry over as a part of our standard, you know, format and then yeah. what can they kind of make their own, put their own sauce on on it, right? Uh-huh. Um, and so the five-year plan, like I said, is Do-Gooders of Hampton Roads, Dash Hampton, Newport News, uh, Norfolk, where I, where I was born, Virginia Beach, Chesapeake, Suffolk, uh, what's left, Williamsburg, Isle of Wight, whatever those seven cities look like. Isle of Wight's a county, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we love the Eastern Shore. That's there. right. That's right. We actually are having conversations with Elizabeth City as we speak. So it was not my vision to have it go across the state line but someone is buying into the vision. They love the idea and the concept. And so my president, um, his name is Waylon McDo. He's actually getting ready to join Black Brand next week. Um, so he and I are going to Elizabeth City to see what Dugaters of Hampton Roads dash Elizabeth City looks like. That's incredible. <laughs> and we absolutely love Elizabeth City. Uh, shout out to Elizabeth City State University. Shout out to Prytown and all those neighborhoods out there in uh, Elizabeth City. I spent a lot of my youth there. Oh, you so, might have to go with us then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm open to it, actually. Let me know when y'all are going. Yes. I've been looking for an excuse to get back down to Elizabeth City. There you go. Um, so... Let's talk about, uh, because a lot of our audience here are entrepreneurs yes. or people who are extremely interested in the, the culture of entrepreneurship and in the benefits of entrepreneurship. So you're sitting around, you realize that there's a gap in your community and you want to fill that gap. You could have easily went outside and set up like a lemonade stand and given lemonade for free or went out and picked up litter. What made you take the time to form a nonprofit, file 501c3 with the SEC, create an executive board, create bylaws? What made you take this spirit of service and a compassion for the people and turn it into an actual business entity? What made you take that step? This is not going to be the answer that you think it's going to be. (laughs) So I just want to preface that. So I always envisioned do-gooders of Hampton Roads, in the beginning at least, as being neighbors helping neighbors really on a smaller scale. But God's vision was much bigger than that. And so uh, I did some training with the city through something called 
uh, asset-based community development. And what that says is you don't look at things as a glass half empty. You don't look at an abandoned building as an abandoned building. You look at it as an opportunity. What can we do to make that building functional for our neighborhood? Mm. And that's really what that training really helped me to establish do-gooders of Hampton Roads. What I didn't want was all the stipulations of a nonprofit. I didn't want to be out here asking people for checks. I didn't want to do things and take pictures and people don't see any impact. And so I, I really fought the idea of becoming a nonprofit. But we were getting so inundated with people saying, hey, we want you to come help us with this. We want to donate this. But, but we can't get a tax write-off. And I'm like, oh, man. I guess you can't. And so my president, Waylon McDo, he uh, challenged me for two years straight. Dina, we need to go nonprofit. We need to go nonprofit. We need to go nonprofit. One day he came to me, put his hand on my shoulder. I'll never forget. And he said, Dina, we can help more people if we do this. And that was the one deciding factor because I did not want to look like other nonprofits uh, that I had been, you know, seen in the community, read about. I wanted to be different. I wanted it to be real organic and natural. And so being able to find that fine balance between you got to have the legal entities, but you still can keep to your core values, that was a work in progress. Because when you get a board, now you got people who, especially if they're established, I'm, I'm, all of this I've learned through friends, connections, reading. I don't have a degree in nonprofit mm. uh, foundations. I don't have any experience in it. I coach cheer and I sing in church, so I'm not sure. <laughs> but <laughs> so with that being said, you know, everything was kind of a learn as you go. And to be able to find that organic balance between the legal structure and the natural state of giving good has been a balance that we've had to work on and we continue to work on. Mm. But that's really what made us do it is so that we could impact more. We could qualify for more. We could, you know, make an, an impression when, when we're talking to people and we say, we need this funding. We need a hundred backpacks. We need, you know, 500 turkeys. And it's nice to say you could collect all of that from the neighbors, but sometimes it doesn't work that way. Mm. So that's why we did it. And it was not easy, but it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's not just the nonprofit that you're responsible for. You're also responsible for Hands Over Hearts for Life. Now, before we dive into Hands Over Hearts for Life, I'd like to just take a moment and pause here and ask you, what is it like living your everyday life being an executive director of a nonprofit and being responsible for a for-profit business. How do you juggle everyday life plus being an entrepreneur of a for-profit plus being the executive director of a nonprofit? What's that like? Is there balance? Do you sleep? No. I don't sleep, so I wish I could give you a better answer, but I don't want to sleep. I sleep mm. as much as I need to sleep. So I do I do sleep, but when you are excited about what you do, then laying in the bed is not always something that drives you. You're driven to get up in the morning. I wake up excited. I loved what I did in corporate America. What I didn't love was some of the bureaucracies and some of the mistreatments that I experienced. But I was great at what I did, and I really took what I did in corporate America and turned it into a business. So... To be able to take what I love doing but do it for me, mm -hmm. that's that's I don't need 12 hours of sleep. So, <laughs> But the balance thing is a work in progress as well. I've been okay. doing this six years, and it really wasn't until year five that I could really see that in order to grow these things, I had to 
get control of myself and I had to grow my mindset. Yeah. So I spend at least 30 minutes to an hour a day reading. And some people say, well, that's not time you're making money, but I'm training my mind how to make money and how to be a better business owner, how to be a better uh, business partner, how to be a leader that does not lead by, you know, dictatorship, but by love and how to, you know, incorporate all those things. And so, um, and then taking care of my mom is, is, is huge because she's, She's definitely needs full-time care and she yeah. lives with me. So time balance is a work in progress. There are lots of, you know, softwares out there that help you do that. My biggest strength is I, at the end of the day, I look at what I did and what I didn't do. Mm. And I don't beat myself up for what I didn't do because that was a problem in the beginning. I didn't get this done. I didn't get this done. And I said, no, if I think in asset based, and that means I got to focus on what I did get done mm. and move that other thing to the next day and being able to prioritize. I use software such as uh, Monday and ClickUp, which yep. helps to keep me organized. And without those softwares, I'm, I'm not sure. I probably got a little bit of you know, attention deficit undiagnosed. So I think that's kind of a trait that maybe a lot of entrepreneurs have because every day I think about <laughs> something else to start, do, or try. Yeah. And But it's exciting to me. I ask God to let me live till 107 because I'm not done yet. Mm. So That's beautiful. Where did you develop this asset this asset based mindset when it came to your everyday life and the way that you wanted to value your 24 hours? I think before I was exposed to it as a concept in neighborhood work, my my heart thought like that. So mm. I've always been a glass half full. Um, like I said, I coach cheer. I sing in church. I have a lot of children. I love family. I love community. And I'm always, and because I'm a servant, um, I'm always looking for ways to make other people happy. And that makes me happy. Mm. You know what I mean? And so being able to to learn what that looks like from a, you know, a, a systematic standpoint, not just Dina wants to do this, so, but to actually take some training and actually apply it to my personal and my business life was huge because if it was up to me, I'd be doing for other people all day long and wouldn't be making any money. <laughs> so I had to I had to systemize things in order to make sure that I was able to take care of my family needs and, and my financial needs and I'm growing and I'm creating a legacy for my children and and all those good things that we're supposed to do in addition to whatever it is God has called us to do for whatever our calling is. So I don't know if that answered your question, but I hope so. Yeah, no, 100%. And I hope that the audience there caught some of those gems. Just because you don't necessarily have the language for a concept that you're operating in doesn't mean that your heart doesn't already operate just like that. So for those of you who are interested in starting your own business or starting your own nonprofit and just thinking about how daunting all of these tasks are and learning all of these new things. As Dina just told us, sometimes you're already in position. Sometimes your heart is already in that position. Sometimes your mind is already in that mindset and the community just needs you to go. Speaking of community needs, um, your for-profit also serves a need that helps the community. Yes. Tell us a little bit about Hands Over Hearts for Life. Awesome. So Hands Over Hearts for Life is a CPR and emergency first aid preparedness uh, training business. Like I said, my corporate career was in cardiac health and information health information systems. I taught doctors how to use a system called Epic. I was very good at helping them to, from a clinical standpoint, I was doing cardiac work with, um, you know, helping, you know, patients with echo 
shows and EKGs, stress mm-hmm. testing, um, all sorts of cardiovascular technology. Once I started, once the hospital system started using technology for documentation, I got really good at it from a natural standpoint. And I didn't go back to school to get that second degree until I was in my late 30s, almost 40 years old. So... But I ended up transitioning into the IT department, and which was really amazing because I was able to use my clinical knowledge and my, my skill set of being able to do, you know, computer work and put it together and work with providers to help them get their documentation. So mm-hmm. when I left corporate America to start this business, all I did was take the skills that I did from my career and transitioned it into a business. I started off as a CPR instructor because the hospital I worked at needed instructors to keep the staff trained, but it wasn't going to be something you would get paid for. It was just an additional thing, but the training was free. So I took the training, and make a long story short, I would help my coworkers if they were getting ready to expire and couldn't go to work the next day, or, you know, it wasn't anything that was a moneymaker. It was more of a hobby and just something to have a title. Yeah. You know, we, we love titles. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, but I had a friend of mine, her name is Francine. She's a nurse practitioner, still comes to me this day to get her CPR certified uh, renewal. Um, And so Francine had a friend who owned a tattoo shop. The tattoo shop had had an emergency, a medical emergency where the guy probably had a, um, a heart attack and needed CPR. So he talked to her about needing to be able to maybe get a staff trained, and she thought about me. So she called me, and she said, would you ever teach outside of the hospital? I said, well, I wrote it down. I had written a business plan with ideas, not knowing that it was a a business plan. Yes. Yeah, so it was just ideas to me, but I eventually looked and said, oh, that's a business plan, right? Mm. And so when she said that, the first thing that came across my head was dollar sign. (laughs) And I'm like, so I can get paid to do this. And so I had no clue how to charge. I didn't own any equipment. If I Mm. needed to teach a friend, I taught him at the the education office at the hospital. And so then it was a process, okay, where are you going to get the equipment? How do you charge? All those things I had to figure out to teach this one class. And when I walked out of that tattoo shop, I felt so empowered. I called my kids and I said, I think I'm going to make a business. Mm. And they were like, okay, I have a group chat with them. And so I was like, whoever can name it, I'll give you 50 bucks. And one of my kids named it Hands Over Hearts at the time. I ended, added the life later on. And Sent her her $50. She was a student uh, at uh, VCU at the time. (laughs) And uh, so here we are six years later. It's in a full official uh, CPR and emergency preparedness business. I have three uh, uh, independent contractor employees, which are my kids. (laughs) Um, I have about 12 instructors who I have trained who work underneath me and are able to uh, go out and subcontract for me. Not only do I own my own CPR business, but I work for four other ones as subcontractors, Mm. some of the larger ones in the company. Um, And so I've been able to really take the the need to learn CPR. We saw it this year. We've seen a huge need for people to be able to save a life. And right here in the city of Norfolk, oddly enough, the bystander CPR rate is 14%. So what that means is there is a, now I'm not a math scholar, okay, but that's 86% chance nobody's going to know what to do if one of us collapses here in this studio. Mm -hmm. And so the need to be able to teach bystanders CPR and emergency preparedness is huge in order to save lives. It does not have to be a healthcare professional. We out here in the community are are the first responders. And I've seen it on the other end when they came to the hospital and nobody did anything for four or five minutes. Mm. So now that I'm out here in the community, I make sure that 
My coaches know CPR. My kids know CPR. We were at an event with another nonprofit this weekend. We had a young lady who uh, had a heat emergency, and just me and my fellow instructor knew what to do, but there were hundreds of other people there. Wow. So That's, we got to fix this. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I'm glad you're really um, stepping up to the plate there because the education that you're offering, sometimes in business, we could say, "Wow, that could save a life." But here, no, it is in fact actually and actively saving lives. So if I fall out on this hot 91 <laughs> carpet right now, you got me. I right? got you. Excellent. I got you. I got you. <laughs> awesome. So I know that there are folks listening. Right now, who may be interested in learning CPR themselves because they might live with an older family member and they want to be prepared. Or there might be someone listening right now who really wants to do good in their community and wants to be able to connect to you to be able to have a conversation about that. How should people reach out to you, whether they want uh, information on Hands Over Hearts for Life or whether they want information on Do-Gooders of Hampton Roads? Where can we find Dina Dina is everywhere. So I'm on Facebook, Dina Moore. I have a personal page and a business page. Um, Hands Over Hearts for Life with the number four is also on social media, uh, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Do-Gooders of Hampton Roads is also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, then you can also find me by my uh, business email, which is dinamoreabc at gmail.com. So that's D-E-E-N-A-M-O-O-R-E. ABC at gmail.com and that stands for asset based coach because I believe in assets so that's why the ABC is there Mm. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn so if you go to LinkedIn and type in Dina Moore I'm the only one in Hampton Virginia so Mm. um, there's a few other ones but they're not in the 757 and then I'm always 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 um, somewhere around the Shell Road community I coach cheer for Kappa Cardinals Athletic Association big ups to the Kappa Cardinals Athletic Association so Monday through Friday you can find me on Briarfield Road coach and cheer so <laughs> awesome well if you're in the sound of my voice right now please reach out to dina moore and let's come together and do more good in our communities dina i want to thank you for coming on today it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know more about you and your business entities and Thank you for listening. I know you're probably on your way to or from church or getting in that good Sunday morning clean of the house. And I'd like to thank you for tuning in to Black Wall Street today. Stay with us online at Black Wall Street Today on Facebook and Black Wall Street Today on Instagram. And then follow us on Twitter as well at BWS Today. We look forward to talking again next week. Have a wonderful week. I have said and I will continue to say that the most important priority for the black community is the black community, not a particular political party. Phenomenal. Hey, yo, when I say black, you say Wall Street. Black, black Wall Street. When I say black, you say Wall Street. Black, black. When I say black, you say Wall Street. Black, black. When I say black, you say Wall Street. Black, black. Phenomenal. Phenomenal.